You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number three, Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Bottom of the hour, our man Tommy Wilden Jr., Calgary FC head coach and manager, tee up that World Cup final, go Sunday. Um... Technical Director Garrett, uh, Mike from the country sent us a text. Mm-hmm. Uh, put a couple mugs in your freezer and freeze your milk. Icy cold milk is the best. You can drink up to a gallon a day if I'm home. There we go. A lot of milk drinkers out there. Confessions. Raised on the dairy. What is that from? I don't know. It's some movie. I just don't remember from it. Is but that? Could be. It's just... And somebody says, every time you whisper confessions, it really creeps me out. Well, we kind of, we like the confession thing. We Kenny Rogers, jackass bit. Confessions. From Is Mad it? TV. Yes. I was yes. right on the dare. Kenny Rogers, uh, RIP. Uh, at the end of his life, Kenny Rogers couldn't, lo- couldn't win a Kenny Rogers lookalike contest. Because he didn't look like Kenny Rogers. But you would know that because you're too young. Um, Flames and Blues tonight. A rare Friday night game down at the Dome. Mm. Give you some extra leeway if you really want to get after it tonight. Get banged up? Yeah, I think, I think it's a positive. Blues and flames? Yeah, I think it's a positive. More uh, like the booze and flames. I'm just going to ignore that. Uh, by the way, we're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey Basements. <laughs> Doug yes. Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. The voice of the flames on Sportsnet 960. The fan is Derek Wills. We say good morning to Derek. Derek, how are you? Good morning, guys. I'm all right. How are you? We're good. Um... First of all, do you have a do you have do you have a holiday confession for us? Something during the holidays that really rubs you the wrong way, gets under your skin a little bit. Is there anything that Derek Wills doesn't like around the holidays? Hmm. Let me give that some thought. Okay, we'll, um, we'll we'll revisit that at the end of the interview. Yeah, because I love Christmas. I absolutely love Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year. So. Not a lot bugs me at this time of the year, but mm. I'll come up with something. How early do you put up your tree? Because we're hearing a lot of U.S. Thanksgiving on the text line. Yeah, I usually put it up last week of November, but okay. uh, my girlfriend wouldn't let me put it up that early this year. So oh, wow. uh, we waited until the first week of December. And I don't know if anybody else listening ran into this problem. So we've got a beautiful fake tree upstairs, which is in the front window of the house and it looks beautiful uh you know it helps everybody with their christmas spirit but i like a real tree i like the experience of mm. going and finding a nice real tree and and normally i uh, i've got pretty good luck finding a a beautiful tree this year not so much mm. i went to like three or four different places and this is like the the charlie brown tree that i've got i've got to post a picture on social because it's honestly the ugliest christmas tree i've ever seen like I, I had a hard time finding places to hang ornaments because there are so many holes in the tree. It's just, so I, I, I laugh. I get, maybe that's my pet peeve is that I couldn't find mm. a good Christmas tree this year, but you know what? Uh, you can laugh at it and just uh, make the best of it. Right. Confessions. I like it. I like it, Derek. Yeah. Um, talked about one goal games with the flames, 18, one goal games leads the NHL 11, one goal losses uh, so far for Calgary. Again, leads the NHL. Is that a stat we're making too much about or not enough? No, I think it's a really important stat because I really think that this team was built to play in and to win those one goal games. And, you know, the good news is they've been in almost every single game they've played in this season. 
the bad news is they haven't won enough of those one goal games. And he even looked like at Wednesday's game and you're down two nothing early. You battle back, take a three, two lead. They tie it up. You go to overtime and eventually the shootout, you fall behind one, nothing in the shootout. And, you know, Dylan Dubé and Michael Backlund were the Flames' second and third shooters. They both basically made the same move, and they both missed a half-open net. So it was an opportunity to at least extend the shootout, if not win the shootout, and pick up that extra point. And there have just been too many missed opportunities. But again, the good news is they're in almost every game. They just have to find a way to to win more of those one-goal games because I really do believe that they're a team built to play in them. That's always been Daryl Sutter's M.O., win 2-1, 3-2 type of games. And uh, the Flames' magic number this season, now it wasn't on Wednesday, but in most of the games, their magic number has been three. If they can score three, they're going to win way more than they lose. And they've won way more than they've lost when getting to three this season, but they haven't gotten to three enough. So, you know, for me, it's uh, about really bearing down and, and burying those opportunities that they're getting and you know, probably finding ways to create more opportunities. Uh, their shot volume's good, but I would say uh, lots of pucks to the net, but not enough bodies to the net to create those second and third chances. So whether it's one more save by Jacob Markstrom or Dan Vladar or one more goal by somebody, uh, I think that's really the key moving forward. But I think they've got it in them. You look at this, and it's not necessarily a knock on the guy. Nothing has necessarily gone to plan this year. But Elias Lindholm is currently leading the Flames in points, and he's on pace for only 63 points at the end of the season. We're talking about one-goal games. How much of those could be turned into wins if you look at some of the guys who last year were producing points like crazy, Lindholm, Huberto, and this year are below a point-per-game pace? Is it as simple as saying, these guys got to get right and start producing, and, and then things will turn around? Well, I cut Elias Lindholm a lot of slack because I know his points aren't where they were last season, but he's been one of their best players. Didn't get off to a great start, but once he turned the corner, he started to play at that uh, Selkie Trophy level again. And uh, you have to remember that you know he had a great year, uh, but he lost two forty goal scorers and two one hundred point producers. His left winger Johnny Gaudreau and his right winger Matthew Kachuk. So this has been a process for him. You know, he started the season playing on a line with Jonathan Huberdeau and Tyler Toffoli, and then Daryl Sutter broke up that line and the rest of his lines. But now he's put those guys back together. And I don't think that there was instant chemistry there. And I talked to Jonathan about it on Wednesday. He didn't feel that instant chemistry either. So it's been a process of them, you know, building that chemistry and figuring out that timing. And, you know, Jonathan Huberdeau, for me, is a guy who had really started to come, and he had nine points in nine games going into Wednesday's game, and I thought he had a rough night on Wednesday, but, you know, he's a player who has the ability to be a game-breaker. Had 30 goals and 115 points last season, so Flames definitely need some more offense from him, but he's not the only guy. There have been uh, a lot of inconsistent players to this point in the season, but, you know, the Flames are tied for the second uh, wild card in the Western Conference. Uh, I wouldn't say that they've hit rock bottom because that sounds bad, but I I think they have the ability to play a lot better individually and collectively than they have to this point in the season, and that's kind of what I hang my hat on. I, I think this team's going to keep getting better as guys get more comfortable and, and more confident. Uh, Derek, at what point, though, do the Flames and Daryl Sutter go, we got to cut our losses here, the chemistry's just not there between Huberto and Lindholm? I think it's 
starting to be there. I, I really do. And you're starting to see that a little bit on that first power play, which really looked static and stagnant for a while. They, they just weren't moving around enough. They were very easy to defend. But that's another thing that I talked uh, to Huberto about on Wednesday is that power play. And he talked about the importance of some movement uh, to kind of break up that box. And the power plays looked a lot better and been a lot more productive of late. And I think, you know, quite often with your top guys who are on that uh, power play, if you start to have success on the PP, then uh, that carries over to five on five. It helps build the confidence. So uh, I, I think they're starting to build some chemistry. And, you know, on paper, I do think that that, that line is the right line because you've got one of the best passers in the game, Jonathan Huberdeau, and then you've got, in my opinion at least, the Flames' two best shooters, and Elias Lindholm and Tyler Toffoli. At least they're two best shooters at forward. So, you know, theoretically, it should work. I think it's taken a little bit longer than those guys would like and that the team would like and that the fans would like uh, to, to really come together. But uh, I, I just I don't know what else I would do. I guess you could try Nazem Kadri with Jonathan Huberto and Tyler Toffoli, but I, I like him between Dylan Dubé and Andrew Manchapani, and I feel like those guys have been playing well. So I, I would be patient with uh, the top three lines right now. Uh, doesn't mean that Daryl Sutter will be, but, uh, you know, he's given them a fairly long leash here. So I think he sees uh, some promising signs as well. What does, what needs to happen for Matthew Phillips to get back into this lineup? Well, uh, I think there's going to be a bit of a rotation. Uh, I would not be surprised if Milan Lucic was back in tonight. Now, the Blues are a, a big, heavy team. Not as big and heavy as they were when they won the Stanley Cup, but... Uh, I would not be surprised if, if he got uh, an opportunity to play tonight. And uh, really, it's it's all about when you get a chance to play, making the most of that opportunity. And when I think about the two games that Matthew Phillips played in, he, he didn't look out of place. And I wasn't sure that that would be the case. He is so small, guys. But I give the kid credit because he's done it his whole life. He finds a way to use his lack of size as an advantage. Because everybody looks at his size, so he's five foot seven on a good day and 140 pounds on most days, making him by far the smallest player in the league. Just uh, for comparison's sake, Kyler Yamamoto of the Oilers is 13 pounds heavier than Matthew Phillips, and he's the second heavy or lightest player in the league. So, you know, he's a small guy, but he's also very slippery. He's hard to hit. I can't remember who it was that said it, might be the late Brad McCrimmon said it um, back in the 1980s. He said, trying to hit Wayne Gretzky is like trying to hug fog. <laughs> and I feel like Matthew Phillips is kind of the same way. He's very elusive and uh, he's got an incredibly high hockey IQ. Obviously, uh, a lot of skill. Led the AHL in goals and in points when he got called up. And I thought he was okay in his first couple of games. But here's the thing. Okay is not good enough. Now, I, I cut the guy some slack because it was his first two NHL games since he, he made his debut in the league back in that pandemic season of 2020. Remember when the Flames were playing regular season games during the Stanley Cup playoffs and doing it in empty buildings? That's when Matthew Phillips made his NHL debut in a meaningless game at the end of the season versus the Canucks. So, you know, these two games have been a completely different experience for him than that one was. And it's probably going to take him some time to get adjusted to the differences between the AHL and the NHL. 
Everything is more structured. Everything happens faster. And, and that takes time for guys to figure out. But, you know, he's always figured it out. So for, for him, when he gets back in, and, and maybe that'll be tonight and maybe it won't be, he, he just has to find a way to positively impact games. And one area where I think he can do it, fellas, is on the power play. And I give Daryl Sutter credit because when he took that morning skate in Columbus, you know, the day that he didn't end up playing against the Blue Jackets, he wasn't practicing on the power play that morning. And I thought to myself, not sure I, I quite understand that. I'd give the guy a look on my second power play. And, you know, it, as it turns out, they did that in games against the Maple Leafs and the Canadians. But, uh, you know, he's good at zone entry. So I think that's one area we can help, but both on the power play and at five on five. But ultimately, uh, you have to bring something to the table. So when you think about one of the guys who he's competing with now, Milan Lucic. So for Lucic to be effective, he doesn't necessarily have to score goals, but he has to use his size and his strength, and he has to be physical. Phillips can't be that. So Phillips has to contribute offensively. So when he gets in, he's got to find a way to, to chip in some points, some goals, and some assists, whatever. Uh, I think that's uh, how he stays in. And when he gets back in, that's what he's probably going to have to do to to, to hold a spot uh, in the lineup and, and on this roster. Otherwise, uh, he'll probably be heading down the hallway to the Wranglers again. Derek Wills is the radio play-by-play -play voice for your Calgary Flames right here on Sportsnet 960. Joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, it's the big show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Uh, Derek, I've been really impressed with Zahorna's play. I know the, the ice time is obviously limited, but I think he's I think he's made an impact here, especially in that game against the Canucks. I thought he's made some nice plays. Is there a is there a chance here that this guy's twenty six years old that maybe this guy's just a late bloomer and maybe he'll figure it out here finally at the NHL level? Yep, absolutely. Uh, I have been impressed as well. And the crazy thing, George, uh, I spent thirteen years in the AHL, and uh, I know early in my tenure, I always wondered why when, whether it was the Oilers or the Canadians, whoever the Bulldogs affiliate was at the time, why they didn't call up uh, the Bulldogs' best player when they needed someone uh, to play in their bottom six or to play on their third pairing. Uh, why don't you call up the best guy? Well, because the best guy might not be the best fit. And I would say it's actually fairly rare that a player who is a first-liner in the AHL can be an effective fourth-liner in the NHL. But I would say Redeem Zahorna is one of the exceptions to that rule. He has some skill. So that's why he can play on the top line for the Wranglers. But he has size, 6'6", 220. And I do think that he's able to adjust his game. And he has been an effective and impactful fourth liner for the Flames, not only using that size and playing a physical brand of hockey, but there's some skill there. And He's had limited opportunities because of the lack of ice time, but I think he's made the most of the opportunities in the ice time that he's been given, and he's actually created some opportunities offensively for that line. So I actually think that he's been an upgrade on the Flames' fourth line because what you don't want that line doing is hurting you. You don't want that line spending most of their time in the defensive zone. Those guys can be effective if they just spend time in the offensive zone, even if they don't score, just hem the other team in, wear them down, and set the table for the next line that comes onto the ice. And I think Zahorn has done a good job of that. And we all know that 
Daryl Sutter likes guys who have size, and he's certainly got that, so that might get him a little bit longer leash as well. I um I have an idea. As we see the injury to Chris Tanev and, and the blue line, this year has not really felt solidified. But how good would Luke Shen look as that sixth defenseman? Huh. It's funny you say that, Maddie, because uh, Peter Labardius and I were talking about that the other night. Um, He'd be like the Branson, except yeah. like not 6'6". He's like 6'3", just as mean. Yeah, and you know a couple of other guys come to mind because the Flames played the Canadians for the second time uh, on Monday, and you know they've got Joel Edmondson. Uh, didn't play in the game, but uh, they've got David Savard. You know they've got some of those big, heavy guys who fit in really well at a third pairing because of the, their size and their strength and their physicality, and they're just hard to play against, kind of like Eric Goodbranson and. You know, there's been talk for months now that, you know, the Flames' top target, if they're to make a trade, is a top six or top nine winger who can score. Well, those guys are expensive, and top four defensemen are expensive, but you can get uh, a Luke Shen type. I'm not saying that Luke Shen would be the guy, but you can get that type of player for a much more reasonable price, both as far as what it would cost uh, to acquire him from a team and what his salary costs would be. So... I think if if the Flames get to the point where they don't think Oliver Shillington is coming back this season, I think they're going to have to make a move for a defenseman. And when they're healthy, I love their top five. I really do. And I think the, the top pairing of Noah Hannafin and Rasmus Anderson, they're really starting to play at a high level. Uh, and then on that second pairing, you've got Mackenzie Weger and Chris Tanev when he's healthy. And then I'm not sure there's a better number five defenseman in the league than Nikita Zadorov. So the top five when healthy, I love it. But it does feel like they're missing that number six guy, doesn't it? And if they could put another pairing together, like the one they had last season with Zadorov and Goodbranson, I think they'd be a better team. And I don't think it's uh, out of the realm that the Flames could target uh, a Luke, Shipe, Luke Shen type of player. And who knows? You know, if the Canucks fall off and decide to, to start moving guys, Maybe he becomes available because I do think he'd be a really good fit here. And my my kind of just to follow up on that point would be you've got Chris Tanev, who we don't know how long he's going to be out now. You hope he's back sooner rather than later. But I would argue that he didn't always look 100% healthy even when he was playing in the first yeah. 30 games of the season. So over the last 10 days, I have kind of convinced myself that the Flames, if they're going to make any move whatsoever, it should be for a depth defenseman uh sooner rather than later to kind of try and solidify things just because as much as I love Michael Stone if he's an everyday guy his play does start to dip a little bit after kind of that fifth sixth seventh game in a row but I don't know that's just the way I see it. if you can solidify this blue line I think it would alleviate a lot of the problems for this team yeah and I don't know if you guys heard what Daryl Sutter had to say about Luke Shen uh on Wednesday big fan uh yeah big fan uh and that goes a long way as well because as we've learned with Daryl, uh, if he trusts you, then uh, you're probably going to get uh, plenty of opportunities to play. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. But uh, you're right. Uh, there's There's been a bit of a hole there on defense. And it's funny because during the offseason, it looked like the Flames had too many guys on defense. They had 10 guys on NHL contracts. But, you know, Oliver Shillington's been away from the team all season, uh, dealing with some personal stuff. And then you lose Yusuf Valimaki on waivers and, you know, the young guys who you were hoping would step up uh, really haven't, at least not yet. Although, I must admit, Dennis Gilbert was starting to grow on me, guys, because 
he found a way to to use his size and his physicality and throwing lots of hits and getting in fights and uh, I was actually enjoying watching him play, but then the Flames got healthy and they sent him down. But, you know, he's a guy that could call up and potentially upgrade that third pairing as well. But ultimately, I do think that uh, that probably has to, to be a target for the Flames between now and the March 3rd trade deadline, trying to upgrade that third pairing uh, unless they get Shillington back and then that changes everything. Uh, I know that you are no stranger to trudging through the snow after a late Flames game on your way back home to Cochrane. <laughs> Uh, but how are your fins going to do up in Buffalo as they look to trudge Oof. through the snow, taking on Josh Allen and the Bills? Well, that was a tough trip to uh, to California for them. Uh, they had plenty of opportunities against the 49ers. And uh, as you guys know, there isn't a bigger Tua fan on planet Earth than me. But he struggled mightily in that game. And then that became a blueprint for the Chargers, how to defend the Dolphins, try to take away the middle of the field and... Uh, the, the deep passing game, and they did a really good job of that. Tua was way better in that game than he was in the 49ers game, but receivers you know, had a hard time getting off the line and had a hard time separating, and when they did, had a hard time catching the football. So this is going to be a challenge. I mean, one of the questions about Tua Tungabailoa is can he play in cold weather? From Hawaii, played at Alabama, plays in Miami, uh, not exactly cold weather spots. So... It's a huge game, um, and George, you'll be able to relate, but I, I was a Dolphins fan growing up in Bill's territory. Ooh, bad news. So, yeah, like at did my high school. Do- okay, hold on, Derek. Did you go to the games, and did you wear Dolphins gear? Oh, 100%. Oh, boy. 100%. Lucky yeah, to be got, here. Yeah. It got sketchy. Uh, oh. So oh, yeah. the scariest thing that happened, so I would always, we would go, uh, we'd go to Buffalo on, on the Saturday night, and uh, check into a hotel and, Ooh. you know, have some drinks, go down to Chippewa Street and oh, uh, yes. you know, have, have a good time. Side and, note, and uh, you can drink they, till 4 a.m. on Chippewa Street in Buffalo, yeah, which well is aware. bad news. Nothing good happens after 2 a.m. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, continue, Derek. Nothing good happens after midnight. Yeah, but, uh, you're right. But we'd get back to the hotel after having a, a Saturday night out in Buffalo and, and we'd make signs. We'd, we'd bring Bristol board and markers and... Uh, we make signs. Uh, so, for example, one year I made a... Uh, remember Flutie Flakes? Yes. Yeah, so I made Flutie as a flake. That was my sign the one year. Oh, so no. we're, we're, sitting, we're sitting in the second row of the upper deck at, I think it was uh, Ralph Wilson Stadium at the time, or Rich Stadium, I can't remember. And uh, I was cheering for the Dolphins. Uh, they, of course, lost the game because they always lost the game when, when I went to, to a Bills-Dolphins game in Buffalo. But there is this crazy fan sitting in the row in front of me, and he didn't like my cheering. So he grabbed the Bristol board sign out of my hands, started tearing it up, and eating it. <laughs> he was eating the Bristol board. Okay, was, okay, so was he staring directly into your eyes while he was yes, doing it? and he threatened to throw me off of the upper deck. I was wow. wearing my Dan Reno jersey, of course, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I thought this is probably not the situation I want to be in. So let's go get a hot dog. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it there it, it I, I mean tailgating is the best there. It, oh. like it it's so much fun, and I'm not one of those people who throws myself through a table like some of those uh, Bills Mafia people do. But uh, there's no better experience for me yeah. than going to an NFL game and tailgating before. <laughs> You, you buy some cheap barbecue at Tops Friendly Markets. Oh, yeah. nice. uh, you buy some burgers and hot dogs and sausages and throw the football around in the parking lot. I mean, 
just awesome. But every time I would go, the weather would be absolute garbage. Oh, yeah. It would be minus a thousand or it would be not even snowing because you can deal with snow. It would be like that wet sleet snow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you'd just be frozen by the end of the game. And I fell asleep the one game because I probably had too much to drink on Chippewa Street the night before. Uh, Woke up at halftime and I'm like, oh. Dolphins are losing. Shocker. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, a lot of long drives home from Orchard Park back in those days. But oh, yeah. uh, I'm, ho- I'm hoping the Dolphins do okay this weekend. You know, they, they kind of need a win here. Um, and if they can beat the Bills this weekend, they're kind of still on the hunt for the AFC East title. So uh, I'll be watching Saturday night for sure. Can't wait. Three three football games coming up tomorrow, fellas. Yeah, that's that's no, fun. No flames for Derek in three football games? Oh, I, I have absolutely lucked out this year. The Flames... <laughs> First Sunday game is December 18th, but the Dolphins were originally scheduled to play on Sunday, but then they flexed that game to Saturday. So it's been perfect for me all season. There, you go. there hasn't been one conflict between the Flames and the Dolphins. So uh, the football gods, uh, they've been good to me. Uh, we've also learned that uh, the cornerstone of a nutritious lunch is eating Bristol board <laughs> while staring into the well, eyes lot, of Derek Wills. Lots of fiber. Lots, lots of fiber. Of fiber. That's, That's a power yeah. move, man. That is a That's power move. <laughs> it's a power move. Uh, yeah. Derek I hope he was. I hope he was bloated for the next two yeah, weeks. Yeah, he probably was. <laughs> I really do. Uh, I don't think yeah. he cared that much. Uh, Derek Wills, <laughs> no. Flames Radio, by my play announcer on Sportsnet 960. Derek, great stuff. Enjoy the game tonight. All right, have a good weekend, guys. And he was on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. <laughs> Dine in, pick up, or have your game day special delivered. Find out why Atlas Pizza is a 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner. 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast, or call 403-248-3344. It's serious at the Bills game. What if I just like grab your script? And I just, and just like, started, started eating, eating it eating and this. stared <laughs> dead into my eyes. <laughs> like, you know it's serious at uh, Highmark Stadium. Now it's called in Buffalo. Sure. That they have a drunk, like, jail. Like, they yeah. throw you in drunk jail there. They got a prison. Like, it's intense. Yeah, a little drunk tank. In case and you need to dry out a little bit, Hick. Like, Chippewa Street's, like, the, the main strip uh-huh. in Buffalo where all the bars are. Is it close to Orchard Park? Uh, not really. Oh. Because it's downtown Buffalo. It's yeah. With the arena's a stone's throw away. Okay. So Orchard Park is like the suburbs of like Western New York. So it's it's a drive from the border. Okay. But Chippewa Street is right downtown Buffalo. And you can drink till 4 a.m. there. That's too late to be drinking. Yeah, it is. Frankly. I know one year uh, my, buddies, my buddies took me there for my birthday because I wanted to go to America to celebrate my birthday. <laughs> like, and drinks are way cheaper there. Even with the American dollar. It's preposterous. It's like, because there was eight of us, and we're buying round after round after round. Yeah, round for eight guys is like $20. We even got a limo so we could all drink. I was passed out, somehow got over the border. (laughs) My friends handed the passport to the border agent and let me get over the border. Because that's what a a messy night it was. Could you just lift up old sleepy sunglasses in the back there? We'll take a quick peek. Yeah, okay, he's good too. On your way. And there was, I had a, I had a very like, human uh, i was a philanthropist that night because i remember what? we were in line it was 4 15 in the morning or 4 30 i think I we were in line at a sub shop and there was a homeless gentleman in the sub yeah, place and they, and they were yelling at him like get out of here i'm like no 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 stay i'm gonna buy him a sub so i was standing in line with this guy i have no idea what we were talking about yeah but i bought him a combo good for you yeah um yeah i don't know if it qualifies as philanthropic but sure that's yeah i did my part for humanity yeah, a real day. charitable donation so my did you get your tax receipt no um so i've said this to you on the show what 
Uh, I, I think I'll be home for Super Bowl. Uh, if the Bills are involved and they win the Super Bowl, my friends and I are immediately driving to Buffalo on Chippewa Street. Do you, how long party. do you think the line will be at the border? Do you, think, do, do you think a lot of people well, would there, do the same thing? There's, three there's spot, a lot of Bills There's fans, three border right? crossings you can yeah. get into. So you, you can find the one that isn't as busy. But I, I couldn't imagine what that street would be like if the Buffalo Bills win the Super Bowl. It would be incredible, and they would party all night long. When's the last time a Buffalo team won a championship? Never. The Sabres? Never. Brutal. The Bills? Never. That's why the, the fan base is so downtrodden in <laughs> the, Buffalo. The, the Bisons? Yeah, that doesn't even count. <laughs> yeah. They've never won anything. Yeah, the Braves, when they were the NBA team? No. That's it. They've That's never brutal. won a championship. And yet, like Even and Cleveland has won a championship yeah. with the Cavs. Buffalo? Zilch. Zero. And then you got Washington, who every one of their sports teams just won. No, who was that the other year? Boston. Boston. Boston won everything. Yeah. Buffalo, nothing. Nothing That's why for you. The, and obviously. Just bad weather. People, they love their wings. Sabres and they love their hockey in Western New York. Yep. But the Bills are sewn into the fabric of that city and that town. And if they won the Super Bowl, I couldn't imagine what kind of parties would be there. The stuff you would see on social media would be incredible. Yeah. I'm, the FBI would be tracking people down like yeah. they did last year, Chance. Yeah, it would be off the hook in the B-Low. And Derek, uh, a guy eating a Bristol board while staring into his eyes. It's probably the best thing so, I've heard all week. So good. All right, Tommy Wilden Jr., straight head Calvary FC head coach and manager, will tee up the World Cup final. And I'm going to tell you about a new book. He's eating paper right now. I'm going to tell you about a new book that's coming out. That may be a little far-fetched. We'll do that to wrap up the show. You have such a weak gag reflex. I, I, it's the Big Show, Rustic and Rose Sports at 960 The Fan. You're listening to The Big Show with Rustic and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Final segment of the week. It's the Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. They got you covered for everything basement tea since 1992, serving Calgary in southern Alberta. Later on to wrap up, uh, there's a book coming out that you may not believe the premise behind the book. Well, that's a fun tease. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, that's... That's kind of the point. Great. Yeah. Right on. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, he's been fantastic during our World Cup coverage. Our man, Tommy Wielden Jr., Cavalry FC head coach and manager on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to tee up the World Cup final. Tommy, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, looking forward to the final, to be honest. I don't know about you guys. Oh, yeah. it's uh, With all due respect to Morocco, and I think it was a great story, the first African yeah. nation to get to the Final Four. But France and, and Argentina is way more mouth-watering here, Tommy. It, well, it's two Goliaths, isn't it? And I think you know, there's, there's, there was always the romance of you know, we all root for the underdog if our nation's not in it. And I think Morocco captured lots of hearts and minds of everybody, really, uh, and credit to them. And it's interesting, their third-place game now is... They've already played it, in a sense, with um, Croatia and Morocco coming out of the same group as Canada. Uh, so I've never been a fan of that game. I yeah. think it's just basically, right, you know, once you're knocked out of the final, I think most would like to go home. Um, but for rankings and things like that, I guess it has to happen. Uh, but I'm looking forward to the final. I mean, 
two Goliath teams. You've got one reigning champion coming back and one greatest of all time uh, playing his last ever World Cup appearance. What's not to like about that? Um, obviously, the third place game's a total cash grab, Tommy, but I wanted to ask you about this <laughs> by FIFA. What would a World Cup title mean for the legacy of Lionel Messi now in the all-time greats? Because I know the Ronaldo-Messi debate, in my opinion, would be put to yeah. bed then. It's Messi because he yeah. has the World Cup title. Where is he now on the all-time greats here? Are we getting in the territory of Pele, Maradona, Messi? Is that maybe the pecking order here if he gets it done on Sunday? Yeah, certainly, because... Um... You know, there was always, like, in that era, there was Johan Cruyff and Eusebio that were always quality players that won domestically and did great for, for Holland and Portugal, respectively. But neither had won the World Cup for their country. So they're never in the same conversation as a Pele and Maradona. So when we talk back and reflect on history books, we'll always see what Ronaldo has done for Portugal and won the Euros and won the uh, European Championship for Real Madrid and Man U and, and, and the like. Um, he's done it in different countries. Um, his, his stats are ridiculous. Um, so are Messi's. Messi's just won the Copa America, you know, in the last uh, tournament for Argentina. And now to, if he wins the World Cup, he kind of closes that chapter because, you know, data speaks for it. And I think that's what everybody will lean towards when that argument comes about anymore and puts him in the same bracket as, you know, Maradona, who won it in 86 with Argentina. Pele won it multiple times. So, um, yeah, certainly uh, puts him into that one. And, to, he's almost doing there's so much similarity to the way Maradona did it in 86 in Mexico um, with Argentina where he was the main guy and he had a bunch of really good teammates around him that allowed him to do what he liked and there's almost that throwback with how similar it is now with Messi being uh, doing that with Argentina under Scaloni's uh, Argentina team. Well, isn't isn't that the difference here between Ronaldo and Messi at this point? I know Messi's 35 years old. Ronaldo was benched here, uh, Tommy, coming mm, off the bench. Yeah. I know maybe some of that was him getting mad about being a substitute, but whatever. But he wasn't the same impact player that Messi's been right now. When we talk about the all-time greats, longevity is also involved in all of this too, right? And how you perform later on in life. Uh, it's ridiculous. This, even both of them. I mean, we're going to you know, split as about you know, the attitude or the perceived attitude of Ronaldo. We don't know. I mean, the guy's an unbelievable uh, superstar, and I think we're fortunate to uh, have him in the same conversation as Messi. But what Messi just goes about his business, um, but both of them playing into their mid to late 30s is ridiculous, but it just shows how well they've looked after their body. And let's be honest, these guys are getting kicked and pulled and dragged and, and competed with day in, day out, but find a way to survive, find a way to look after their bodies. And, you know, often the best ability is durability and availability. So, and they've had that for a long time. And yeah, it's a, it's a mouthwatering tie for the final. And, um, you know, the way Messi played in the semifinal was ridiculous. He, he took Croatia apart, um, a couple of assists and a, and a PK goal with the plum. It was, a, it was superb. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how they do against France. Cause for me, France is so deep from back to front, and uh, I think it's going to be a really good chess match. So, Tommy, uh, are you? How are you handicapping this match? Because I think if you kind of look at the odds, it's it's supposed to be a pretty tight one. Do you see one team having an advantage over the other? Yeah, I mean, you have to say France. I mean, what, what's good is both have known how to win a, win a trophy. As I mentioned before, you know, uh, the Copa America victory is as big as um, it's bigger than probably people think because, you know, Argentina hadn't won it for a long time and Messi hadn't won it at all. So, you know, they'd always been the bridesmaids. I think uh, Scaloni, the coach, has been very good in terms of creating this teamship where he's kind of kept keeping 
you know, players that we would be familiar with of uh, Di Maria on the sidelines, uh, Lozano Martinez at Inter Milan on the sidelines, Dybala. These guys are all superstars in the clubs and have been for Argentina, but he's done a great job and they've all bought in and they've won. So they know how to win a tournament in a tight game and I don't think they'll, they will need a lot of the ball. They'll just need, when they do get the ball, to get it to Messi. They're ruthless defensively. But on the other side, you've got France and France are the reigning champions and the way they've played when they've needed to win um, in the big games and in and, and particular against England, they just find this extra gear. And when you have Mbappe, maybe they can cancel them out, but you've got Giroud, their record scorer, and hell of a target man, big physical profile. You have Griezmann underneath him. You have Dembele, you know, he's got all the skill and tricks. And they've got a solid back line that's marshaled by Loris and Varane that won it with uh, them in 2018. And no team has gone back-to-back. No national side has gone back-to-back World Cup since Brazil did in 62 and 58 uh, when Pelé was there. So it's what's interesting about these as well, their coach, Didier Deschamps, he won it as a player for France in 98 in France and coached them last in the last World Cup cycle. So this is his hat-trick that he's going for as well. So I would edge more towards France. I just think they've got it. But again, any team with Messi, you cannot rule them out. And all it takes now, as we've seen in a lot of these games, when Saudi Arabia beat Argentina, it takes one goal advantage and and go through. And, And that's what could happen to see with Argentina. But France, for me, I think of just too deep and plus I've backed them. Um, Tommy, from your head, <laughs> from your, that's right. Uh, from your head, from your head coaching experience, how much space does Mbappe create for the other players on France? Well, when you've got players that special, they don't take away, you know, sometimes you can go man for man with people, but I think when you've got Messi and you've got Mbappe, you do need to double up on them. And what that ends up doing is it does create holes for others. And that's why, you know, it'd be interesting to see how France handle uh, Messi because then they have more players uh, to, to, to find when they get it. And on the flip side, you know how Argentina do handle Mbappe, but it does certainly create space for others. France just have better players. So I thought actually that in the England game, England managed Mbappe very well. Griezmann, I thought, was a thorn aside. And Giroud, Giroud only needed two, three chances to score his one. And uh, Tuchemani, who scored his strike outside, they've got different ways of scoring goals, the French. And that's why I lean more towards them. It's not just about going to Mbappe and getting the ball cut back for Giroud. They find different ways to score. Whereas I think we can agree that, you know, with Argentina, it has to be around Messi. Um, he's unstoppable. Um, although uh, we've, we've seen before when they lost to Saudi Arabia, we all thought that this wasn't the team. You know, they were unbeaten in 36 before the World Cup. Um, this team knows how to win, and it was only a blip in their map. Um, yeah, so it's a, like I said, I, I'm looking forward to it as a coach to see how each team solves the other team's threats and then how they strike on them once they've done that. So France knocks out England in the elimination round, but you're still ba- back in France because of our pool that we did here on the morning yeah. show where I picked Argentina, you picked France, so now it's the savant against the simpleton in the final here. <laughs> That's a headline, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I can do an alliteration. Yeah, but you, you told me you know how to read a box score. And uh, why, why did you go with Argentina? Uh, because they had great odds. They had the best odds to win the tournament, and they were the Outside only side of left. Brazil. Yeah, and Brazil had already been picked. Yeah, there you go. And, 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 they, and they still are that team, aren't they? They've, uh, 
and and it's both it's very very similar you'll see the tactical flexibility of both and it's almost been a bit of a throwback to this 442 that people used to talk about in the age but there's it's evolved that you know they'll build out with you know three at the base and then they'll have you know in a defensive mid block around the center circle will be 442 and they're almost just lulling the team in it's it's funny like they're waiting for the team to come at them they're not pressing and then when they get it, that's when they'll strike. And both teams play very, very sim- similar. And, you know, it's very pragmatic or maybe it's just a pragmatic because they've got Mbappe and Messi when they get it. Tell us about uh, the U-Sports draft that went down yesterday as Cavalry yeah. starting to gear up for the upcoming season. Grabbed a couple of uh, lads out of the University of Calgary. Can you tell us about the two gents that you've added into the uh, Cavalry program? Yeah, do you know what? We, we're big fans of this U Sports draft. It's, I think it's uh, you know a great measure that the rest of the world could follow where players can still compete in their university programs but could get drafted. You know What, what happens now is we bring both into training camp um, and then around uh, August 1st, we get a release or retain date. Release being you send them back to their uh, colleges to play in the U Sports or you could retain them like we did with Victor Latore back in 2021 where they play the remainder of the season and then we translated it into um, or converted it into a pro contract. You know, Joel Waterman, who was with Canada at this World Cup, we drafted him from Trinity Western in our inaugural draft. Um, you know, Victor Latore, we've had some really good successes. The Kaiser brothers have, have played for us as well, coming out of UBC. Uh, we like to select uh, boys out of the Mount Royal program here as well under Ryan Jackie. And, and this time we've gone with two lads out of the UFC under Brendan O'Connell. And I think what they've done is uh, they've... they've but their players, young uh, Willie Omarinje, is a, a powerful, athletic, technical, left-sided player. They could play at fullback or wing, uh, winger. Um, we think he's somebody that we've known for a long time through the Calgary Foothills program. Um, and then with Eric Cobser, he's a player that's uh, done very well in his last couple of seasons for the UFC, but also has professional experience already in Poland. So. Hopefully that converts when he hits the ground with us in, in, in training camp. And he's a player that can play at centre-back or centre-midfield. And having that versatility is good when you're looking at depth players. So we're excited. Um, I think it's important to grow your own and shop local. I think uh, Calgary is uh, a destination for, I think, the most amount of draft picks. So it shows a good promise that the clubs around this city are doing a great job. And, and uh, hopefully we can kick on with them. Tommy Wilden, Jr., Calvary FC head coach and manager. Tommy, thanks for this. Enjoy the match Sunday. We'll talk Monday to wrap it up. Sound good? Sounds great. Okay, All and right. then we'll uh, we'll be going for lunch either way, so it's either Matty or it's me that's that's right. all the rewards, right? Uh, eating for free. Uh, we will discuss or you can that eat on buffets. Monday. I think they're We might do that too. We will uh, we'll hammer those details <laughs> yeah. out on Monday. Enjoy the match, Tommy. Thanks for this. Right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. And there's Tommy brought to you by the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. Dine in, pick up, or have your game day special delivered. Find out why Atlas Pizza is a 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner. 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast or call 403-248-3344. There's a book that's coming out that seems a little far-fetched. Okay, tell me. You, no, you tease well, this. I'll, I'll tell you after Alex Brody gives oh, us our soccer report. Of course. All right. This soccer report is brought to you by Certainty, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. Certainty pro all the way. So we've teed up the final, and now we know what to expect from Tommy. I wanted to use this report to quickly take a look back at the tournament with some fun facts. First off, through 62 matches, we've seen a total of 163 goals. That is an average of 2.62 goals 
per game. In 2018, there was 169 goals, and in 2014, we saw 171. Still two, two games to go, so technically there's a chance we see more. Just interesting to see a bit of consistency. And even more interesting, we've seen six nil-nil draws at the tournament, seven if you include the Morocco-Spain match that went to penalties. In 2018, there was just one nil-nil draw across the whole tournament. Going all the way back to day one, Qatar became the first host in tournament history to lose their opening match after they fell to Ecuador 2-0. And Argentina have never lost a World Cup semifinal before. They extended that run and have now featured in that stage of the tournament six times. They've won it twice. They're also only the fifth team ever to reach a World Cup final after losing their opening game. And Argentina and Netherlands set a record for the most yellow cards given out in a match with 18. And some quick Canada facts for you with their first appearance since 1986 and first goal at the tournament ever. Canada became the 76th team to score in the tournament's history. And Canada's Alfonso Davies still holds the record for the fastest goal at the tournament this year. Although still two, two games to go, Fonzie's record stands at 67 seconds with his goal against Croatia, although it doesn't crack the top 10 in tournament history. This soccer report is brought to you by CertainTy, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTy, pro all the way. All right, thanks, Alex. Uh, quick thanks to our friends at uh, Massage Heights who dropped by to say hello. Yeah. Uh, brought us some goodies. Big thanks to them. Uh, we'll take them up on their offer uh, for a quick massage. Uh, thanks to our good friends at Massage Heights for uh, the little Christmas gift. All right, uh, before we go here, got a couple minutes. Um, you and producer Alex Garrett as well, you're all a little too young to remember the, um, the insanity that was the O.J. Simpson trial. Yeah, I, I watched the series that came out during the pandemic on it, but and that was a bit of a crash course, but certainly didn't right. didn't but enjoy, you weren't but you weren't around. I was for, not enthralled in the Right. And it was weeks and months of coverage yeah. every night led the news. Well now there's a new book coming up uh-huh. titled The Sealed Envelope Who Framed O. J. Simpson for Their Murders, How They Did It and How They Got Away with It. I thought I thought we sorted it all out. No. No? Hmm. Uh, according to RadarOnline.com, the book claims, quote, it's all premeditated move so the Browns can continue to live in a home owned by O.J. Simpson. The claim is the former football legend was preparing to repossess and liquidate after he, after he failed reconciliation between him and Nicole Brown Simpson, stating that framing him would put a permanent stop to their eviction as he was the deed holder on their house. The authors allege that the Simpsons divorced in 1992 and it spelled the beginning of the end for both the Browns' dependency on Simpsons' financial assistance as well as their stay in a house owned by him. So the book claims that Lou and Judith Brown, along with sisters Denise and Tanya, orchestrated, quote, a carefully planned murder plot to kill their daughter and their friend. Oh, and there's more. Oh. The book also states that Marsha Clark, the district attorney's office, were also in on the scheme. Hmm. Really got the tinfoil hats out for that one, hey? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... <sighs> it's. I don't... I can't... Tough pill to swallow. I just... You, yeah, I remember when the verdict came out, I was in high school, mm -hmm. and I literally had to get out of class because I had to go watch the verdict. I just left my math class and go, You're the like, verdict's going to happen. Yeah. Peace out. Whatever you got to do, whatever, whatever... 
You yeah, know, this one you want. I got to go see this piece of history. Three is three or whatever. Who yeah, cares? but yeah. this new book claims it was the parents of Nicole saying, "Oh no, uh, we got to keep our house. Huh. Let's murder our daughter." Now's a good time to wow. Drop that book. Probably not going to be on your holiday shopping list. Um, no, it won't no. be. No, I'll tell you that for free but right I now. I don't think there's anything more cringy than OJ Simpson giving fantasy football advice to on Twitter. Oh, that's always good. I do not follow him. I try not to, but he. And sneaks into the algorithm every once in a while. All right, uh, that's it for Curses. us. That's it for us. Uh, Maddie, I'll see you next year. Hey, George, I'll see, see you next, next year, year, pal. Um, I'm doing shows from home next week. We'll be on. Um, looking forward to that. Big okay. thanks to Garrett who pinch hit. Patrick Dumont's back next week. Alex will be back behind the board. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. Bye. Bye.